the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Simply because he says so. And you know the hardest area for us to submit to the direction of God is when he challenges us in our area of expertise. Peter was a fisherman. You, you, have, you have no knowledge about fishing, Jesus, but because you say so. And sometimes the hardest area of our lives to yield to the Lordship of Jesus is the areas that we think we know best. And sometimes God comes along and says, no, this is what I want you to do. Why? Because I said so. Sometimes as a parent, you just need your child to obey because you told them to. There are times when it's appropriate to explain things to them, but other times they might not have the mental capacity to fully understand why you've told them to do a particular task. That same idea is true for Christians. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, sometimes you just need to trust God and do what He has told you to do even if you don't understand why he's asked you to do it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And it tells us in verse 40 that when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now try to imagine, first of all, just how exhausting his day must be. I mean, he's been teaching in the synagogue. Then he goes to Simon Peter's house and he, and he heals his mother-in-law. And then it talks here about how all the sick are coming from the whole town here. And Jesus is basically having, you know, a, a little healing revival ministry going on here at the home of Simon Peter's. And, uh, and in addition, many demons are being cast out. So uh, he, he must be tired. He's getting exhausted here. Uh, we're going to see how Luke emphasizes that Jesus goes off to solitary places and prays and gets refreshed, and that's important for all of us. But please note this part here about when Jesus was casting out these demons from people, he would order them. They, they would say, you are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now, why would he rebuke them? Again, they have a proper understanding of his identity. The demons recognize him and know him to be the Christ, the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Why is it that Jesus causes them to be quiet and doesn't want them to say anything? Well, let me ask you this. If you wanted people to know who you were, 
I mean, who the real you was and is. You probably wouldn't ask the town liar to communicate that to people, right? That's what's going on here. Jesus does not want his reputation and his identity to be hinged on demons, okay? Because they're liars. So they're not, they're, they don't reflect well on Jesus. They, they are not great spokesmen for Jesus. So he wants the demons to be quiet because they're all a bunch of liars and they're evil. He doesn't want people, if they believe what the demons are saying, which the demons are saying what is true, he doesn't want demons to become a source of truth and for people to believe in the demons that are uttering the truth here. So he wants them to all be quiet uh, and he rebukes them, commands them not to speak. And then it says in verse 42 that at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Here's where Luke particularly emphasizes this about the life and ministry of Jesus, that he, that he often needed to go to a solitary place, that he just needed to get alone and pray. And um, it's very critical that we see this because if the Son of God saw the need, saw the necessity to take regularly, regular times of just getting alone and seeking the face of the Father and praying and being by himself and getting his batteries recharged, so to speak. How much more do we need that? How much more do we need that? So he goes off to a solitary place, and it says the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent, and he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Again, I mentioned this last week. Sometimes people think that the main purpose of Jesus' ministry was coming to heal people, you know, healing the sick, raising the dead, and he did that along the way. But his main ministry was to preach was to share the truth, because that the people would know the truth, and by the truth, they would be set free. And so his main ministry was preaching. And again, I mentioned last week, Josephus, first century historian, said that in the region of the Galilee, at the time of Jesus, there were 207 towns that had a population on average of 10,000 or more. There was more than two people living in the region of the Galilee. Today, only about 500,000. So there was a lot more people living in the region of Galilee than there were in, in Jesus' day than there are today. And, and Jesus was on a mission to go from town to town to town to town to town to preach the good news, the truth of who he is and who they can, uh, and how they can have a relationship with him. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Chapter 5. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, again, he's teaching them, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so underlined there in your Bibles or highlighted in your electronic Bibles, the Lake of Gennesaret. What's the Lake of Gennesaret? Lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. Luke is the only one who uses this term, and it's the only time you find it right here in the Bible. Matthew and Mark refer to Gennesaret as a as a plain, a, a kind of a field area uh, along the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But this is a term for the Sea of Galilee. And Gennesaret, this is, this is an aerial view, actually from NASA, this is an aerial view of the Sea of Galilee. And the word Gennesaret, Gennesaret has everything to do with the Sea of Galilee because the, the term Gennesaret is a Greek term, because remember the New Testament is written in Greek, and then we're translating from Greek to English in our English Bibles. So Gennesaret is really a, uh, from a Greek word, and the Greek is trying to capture a Hebrew word. 
from the Old Testament referring to this body of water. Gennesaret is a Greek word for the Hebrew kinerot. Kinerot is from a Hebrew word that means lyre or harp. That is why in the Old Testament, six times, the Sea of Galilee is referred to as the Sea of Kinnereth because it is in the shape of an ancient lyre, okay, as in musical instrument. Lyre, an ancient lyre, kind of the shape of an ancient lyre, uh, looks similar to the Sea of Galilee from an aerial view. And so Gennesaret is simply the Greek uh, transliteration of the Hebrew word kinerot, uh, that's why in the Old Testament it's often referred to as the Sea of Kinnereth, because it's in the shape of a harp. So, extra information for free. Now, what, what Jesus is doing here now, he gets into one of the boats of the fishermen, one belonging to Simon Peter, and they're cleaning their nets, the text tells us. They're at the end of the day. They're done, okay? They're tired. Keep that in mind, because it goes into the next portion of the story. And Jesus says... Push the boat out just a little bit, and he's going to teach the people. Now, this is for two purposes. One, because you, you have a crowd of people that are pressing in against you. So Jesus is going to just go out slightly into the water so he can kind of get away from them, and they can see him, and, and he can see them. But the water becomes a natural amplification for his voice. This is back in the days before there's a PA system. So he's pushed out into the water a little bit, and his, water's going to, his voice is going to bounce off the water and serve to be like a little bit of an amplification system here. And, and he's teaching them the Word of God. He's quoting from what we have in our Bibles, this Old Testament Scripture. He's teaching them the Torah, and he's helping them to understand. I'm sure it's fulfillment uh, in him. He finishes teaching. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles from north to west. It's about 8 miles from, sorry, north to, north to west, north to south, and it is about 8 miles from east to west. And on average, the Sea of Galilee, on average, is about 80 feet deep. At its deepest point, it is 141 feet deep. The surface of the Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. It is the lowest freshwater body of water uh, on the planet. It's in a basin, along with further south, the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on the face of the earth. So this is in a basin. Jesus is saying to Simon, I want you to let down your nets into the deeper water. Now, was Jesus a fisherman? No, Jesus was not a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. Was Simon Peter a fisherman? Yes, Simon Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did for his life. Usually you inherited, you picked up the, the lifestyle, the occupation of your father. Uh, Jesus, his trade as a young man was a carpenter because that's what his father did. Simon Peter, no doubt, was a fisherman because that's what his father did. You learned the trade of your dad. You basically did what your dad did. Jesus is not a fisherman. So I'm trying to imagine at this moment, Simon Peter, you've had a long day of fishing, okay? Because look at verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, okay? They've been cleaning their nets. They're done for the day. They're done and discouraged. They haven't caught a thing. And Jesus says, why don't you just go back out into deep water, let your nets down. I'm imagining Peter's thinking, listen, carpenter, I'm the fisherman. Don't tell me how to do I know how to fish, okay? If it had to do with wood or stone or something, you want to chisel, maybe I'll listen. But no, that's not what he says here. He refers to Jesus as master. Luke is the only of the gospel writers who uses that term for Jesus seven times in the gospel of Luke. It is the Greek word epistates. 
Master. So Simon Peter very respectfully says to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but I love his next sentence. Underline this. But because you say so, I will let down the net. But because you say so. Because you say so. I remember just shortly after getting married, hearing somebody who was kind of a, I don't know, a child psychologist or somebody who, you know, was talking about parenting. And I I remember this guy talking about how you should never say to your children, because I said so. Okay. So when you, when you ask your your child to do something and they ask back why, or they kind of push back a, a little bit, never say, because I said so. And I remember this guy saying, because, you know, reason a little bit with your, ch- with your child, help them to understand, don't just give the pat answer, because I said so. And every single one of us growing up have heard our parents say, at some point, because I said so. All right? Am I right? How many of you heard your parents at some point say, because I said so? Okay. So I remember listening to this psych- child psychologist before, before having kids and thinking to myself, that is brilliant. We, we need to sit down and try to negotiate a little bit and explain things and help our kids understand until I became a parent. And then when I became a parent, I realized that child psychologist needed an adult psychologist. That's the stupidest bit of information I've ever heard in my life. Why? Because there are just some times when your little child will not have the mental capacity to understand the answer even if you could explain it. So it's okay sometimes to just say, because I said so. And it's good sometimes that we do what God says, sometimes just because he says so, because we don't have the capacity to always understand every nuance behind why he tells us to do what he tells us to do. And the day we think we're educated enough, smart enough, proficient enough, and whatever it is, to demand an explanation from God before I'm going to do what God says, we're acting like a spoiled child. Sometimes we do what God tells us to do because He says so. Simply because He says so. And you know the hardest area for us to submit to the direction of God is when He challenges us in our area of expertise. Peter was a fisherman. You have have no knowledge about fishing, Jesus, but because you say so. And sometimes the hardest area of our lives to yield to the Lordship of Jesus is the areas that we think we know best. And sometimes God comes along and says, now this is what I want you to do. Why? Because I said so. Now that isn't what Jesus is saying, but that's how how Peter responds, and that's the way we should respond. I'm going to do this. Lord, I don't understand it. That's all implied there. I don't get this. I'm tired. We just cleaned our nets. We've worked hard all night. But because you say so, I'm going to do this. And notice what happened. Verse 6 says, And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Isn't this great? Now, I don't think Jesus was like this, but sometimes I just kind of wish that I could see Jesus going like this. Mm-hmm. I don't think he rubbed it in like that. I just, you know, I kind of, I chuckle thinking about, wouldn't that scene be rich if Jesus on the shore was like, mm-hmm, I told you so. But I'm sure he's not like that. But anyhow, they get the picture here. Like, wow, we listen to Jesus and look what happens here. And it says in verse 8, look at the reaction here. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, 
Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see, Peter's obedience to the Lord, I'm just going to do because you say so, then opened up the opportunity for him to witness the wonderful demonstration of God's power. And in that moment, Peter then sees himself in relation to the magnitude of God. And he falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, I'm undone. It's like like what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6. Woe is me, God, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When you come to the place of really knowing Jesus as master epistates and you begin to surrender your life to his lordship and he does amazing things, boy, doesn't it humble you? Doesn't it make you realize how great he is and how small we are? And Peter in this moment realizes, Lord I am undone. I am a sinful man. Verse 9, For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. We'll come back to that. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. This is the initial calling of the first core of Jesus' twelve. Peter, James, and John. And they, they had somewhat of a lucrative business going here because it talks about how they're cleaning their nets and they had multiple boats here. So they had kind of a fleet of boats. They were doing well. And they're going to leave everything instantaneously to follow Jesus at this moment. Now, please note with me that Jesus calls Peter, James, and John, the first of the twelve in this scene here, and they're friends. They're, they work together. They are fishermen. In fact, again... In referring to James and John at the end of uh, verse 10, middle of verse 10, it talks, to, it talks about James and John as being Simon's partners. Why do I say that? Because sometimes we over-spiritualize the kind of people that God can use and the way that God uses people. Sometimes in, in doing kingdom work, the Lord will often build upon relationships and, and use people within their sphere of relationships to accomplish his purposes in kingdom work. He didn't just take a stranger Peter from a stranger James from a stranger John and then hope that they all get along and now serve me, but he often would select people, and in this case, talking just about these three, they were already co-workers, they were already friends, they already knew each other, they kind of already understood how each other thought and ticked and conversation and inside jokes and all this kind of stuff, and he used those three in that case to build upon the work of the ministry for the sake of the kingdom. Why do I say this? Because sometimes, you know, even in hiring pastors here at Cornerstone, there's three things that I look for in hiring somebody here as a pastor. The three C's. It's character, calling, and chemistry. Character. It has to be there. There has to be an internal thing that is going on in the heart. The heart is the most important thing, and the qualifications, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the book of Titus, for elders slash pastors. Character is fundamental. Calling. Somebody has to have a calling from God. There has to be an evident, uh, an evidence of a, of a calling of God, the, the hand of God upon a person's life. But the third thing is important. It's chemistry. Jesus was building upon the chemistry of these guys. There has to be a certain chemistry when people are working together and fitting together for the sake of working together and being effective. And some of you might say, well, character, calling, and chemistry, that sounds nice. Where's education in there? That's down the list for me. 
Acts 4.13 is one of the great verses, I think, in the Bible, and it talks about the Sanhedrin. Noticed about Peter and John, it says that they were unschooled, ordinary men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. The most obvious things about Peter and John were not that they were men of, men of great education. Not that God is looking for the dumbest people, all right, to serve Him. But it's the idea that what He's looking for most is the heart of a person as to whether or not the most, thing that it, the, the, the most obvious thing about their life is their heart relationship with Jesus. The Sanhedrin said, you know, Peter and John, they're unschooled, ordinary men, but we can tell they've been with Jesus. These guys here, they're fishermen. These guys are unschooled, ordinary men. Nothing wrong with education. Get your education. But in serving the Lord, it's not like God's looking for the resume. He's looking at the heart. And these guys had a chemistry. And Jesus already built upon that and said, you three, right here, I'm going to lead you to be fishers of men. Because what they were used to doing for a livelihood was literally catching fish. And Jesus says, now, there's going to be something more important for the sake of eternity. And that is, you're going to become fishers of men. He's emphasizing the, the importance of the gospel, evangelizing leading people to Christ. It is important that we have an evangelistic heart towards our neighbors, our friends, and our co-workers. You say, well, I, I don't know that I feel very comfortable in sharing the plan of salvation and how do I lead someone to Christ. And, you know, and most people have a heart desire to lead people to Christ, but they just feel ill-equipped to do it. Most Christians. They want to lead their friend or their co-worker or their neighbor to Christ. They just don't know that they feel equipped to do it. One of the best things to do in leading someone to Christ is to share your story. Your story is your story. And nobody can change it, and nobody can argue with it. It's your story. And when God gives you the opportunity, just look for those God moments. When there's just this opportunity for you in a conversation with a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, whoever it might be, to just start talking about what God has done for you. And in that open door, you'll be amazed then at how the Lord will give you the words and the opportunity to share the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and to ask somebody the simple question, do you want to know Jesus like I know Jesus? We overcomplicate the gospel. It is simple, yet it is profound. And to be able to lead someone to Christ is simply to ask them, do you want to open up your heart to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins like he has forgiven me of my sins? And then if they respond by saying yes, then just lead them in a simple sinner's prayer. It's, it's just very simple. It's just leading them in a prayer that's something like this. And if you've been here long enough, you've heard me lead people in this kind of prayer over and over again. But it's a simple prayer. Just pray with me. And you can lead them. Just pray with me. I'll lead you in this word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need you as my Savior. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior today. It's really that simple. But we overcomplicate it. We get nervous. We get scared. And um, then we don't often do what the Lord wants us to do because we become intimidated. But pray and ask the Lord. Pray and ask the Lord to give you the words, give you the power, and give you the open door opportunities. But be warned. If you pray for those things, the Lord will start to open up doors and you'll begin to be, oh no, it's that open door I prayed for. Oh no, what am I going to do? Because he will respond and you will be amazed then at all of a sudden how many people start to ask you questions and they want to know the hope that you have and they'll start to uh, wonder uh, about the Lord and about what church you go to and all these kind of things. The Lord will open up opportunities for you to share simply your faith, simply. And that's the beauty of it. 
It is a simple message with profound meaning. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know